The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verses 53 to 72. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We have heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is God's word. Father, I pray that you would use this word and my words to allow us to see the testimony, the true testimony of Jesus, the living word. Amen. I swear to God, I do not know who in the world he is. What would cause Jesus' closest human friend, his best friend, to curse and swear before God and human witnesses that he didn't even know who Jesus was? Just a few chapters prior, Peter, in answer to Jesus' question of him, who do you say that I am, responded with, you are the Christ. And in other gospels, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. A confident assertion of faith and trust. But why? Six chapters later and maybe in the timeline about a week or two later this. I swear to God, I don't even know the guy. 
Most theologians believe Peter played a really significant role in writing the Gospel of Mark. So what would be his motivation to out himself so clearly as such an unfaithful, betraying friend? Why does Peter want us to see the most shameful moment that wrecked him and rocked him to the core? Don't we keep these stories to ourselves? Don't we only share these stories under the comfort of confidentiality? No, Peter doesn't. He writes it in scripture that will last forever. He needs the reader of this gospel to know something about the condition of his heart in order for them and for us to see the condition of our own hearts, friends. What is that condition he wants us to see? It's this. The name of Jesus embarrasses us. The name of Jesus can be shameful to us. Why? Because I'm with Jesus makes us vulnerable in the courtroom of man. So like Peter, following behind, a mile behind into the high priest's house, we keep a safe distance from associating with Jesus' name and Jesus' person. We'll happily talk about him, even sing about him here amongst like-minded friends when it really doesn't cost us. But we'll save our skin time and time again by avoiding association with Jesus when it could lead to some kind of push or some kind of shove. We might be mislabeled. We might be mistreated. We might be misunderstood. And in some corners of the world, we might even be murdered by people. So we create distance by safely saying, I believe in God, but we leave Jesus' name out of it. So the gospel writer Mark creates another one of his signature sandwiches. We've talked about this in previous passages. It's a sandwich. Think of an Oreo cookie contrast, okay? The top and the bottom, the beginning and the end of the story is that black of the Oreo so that it makes the middle double stuff really obvious and clear. Top and bottom of the story, you see Peter. Middle of the story, you see Jesus. Two people taking a witness stand in two different courtrooms. When Peter is wanting to contrast, what Peter's wanting to contrast in this sandwich is two types of witnesses. The first one, a false witness. And the second one, a true witness. Because he wants us to hear and believe what that middle of the sandwich says. That Jesus, the true witness, testifies for us. What does he testify for us? That's what Mark wants us to see. Because when we see that, when we understand that testimony, that testifying, it's going to give us courage to speak his name and to identify with Jesus without shame. What? Testimony, does Peter want us to hear about us from Jesus that could make Jesus' name come more readily off of our lips, even when the stakes get high, even when it might cost us death? What does this passage teach us about Jesus' testimony? He says three things in this passage. First, I am the one on trial for you. Second, I'm the one to receive your death penalty. And third, I am faithful when you are not. First, 
I'm the one on trial for you. The first testimony we see is found in verses 53 to 60. Mark makes it very clear leading up to this. Everyone's scattered from Jesus. Everyone's gone. Judas kissed him goodbye. The rest of the disciples scattered to the wind. And here we see the last one, even Peter, his closest ally at a safe distance from his best friend. And Jesus is entering into the house of the high priest. It's not the temple. It's the house of the high priest. His name was Caiaphas. And all of the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the, the, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders are coming in to the high priest's house. To bring this trial upon Jesus. These men who are called to maintain and minister the law of God are coming in. And they're breaking every courtroom law with this proceeding. Courts are only to be held during the day. It's nighttime. See the fire. Capital offenses actually need two separate trials to put somebody to death. This happens within probably 20 minutes. The proceedings are to be held in an official location. They're at Caiaphas's house, his residence. And testimony is to agree between two, at least two witnesses. They don't have that. Jesus could call them out on every violation of the law in their courtroom. But instead, what do you see him doing? You see him standing there silent while Peter sits further, further away, keeping himself warm. What's going on here? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is testifying by his willingness to follow their illegal proceedings that this is part of God's plan to be put on trial by man, that he would be rejected by men. He goes into their courtroom willingly, and we need to see in that Christ's willingness to step in and be named the guilty party. But friends, he steps in not on their terms, on his terms. Notice how Jesus, he stays innocent as he steps foot in this court. False testimonies like flying all over the place, inconsistent reports. They're looking for anything to kill him. But what gets him killed? It's not their words. It's not their testimony that brings him to death. What is it? It's his testimony. It's his terms. He will use man's evil schemes to bring about God's glorious redeeming. Peter, on the other hand, he believed his righteousness came as the result of his efforts, his chutzpah. He told Jesus a little while earlier, I will go with you to the death. And Jesus said, no, no, you won't. You're not going to. And here Peter sits at a safe and comfortable distance from the courtroom in order to save his own skin. It's a solitary and solo Jesus that stands on trial. Friends, do you see his love for Peter and for you in this testimony? As he stands on trial for you. Every accusation of you. That comes from either man's courtroom or God's courtroom. Jesus is your willing stand-in. Before you knew you even needed one. Peter didn't know yet how profound his sin and his guilt was. But Jesus did. And he testifies in standing in this courtroom. Your honor, I am here to represent him. And see what happens, friends, when he stands in on your behalf. Look at verse 55. 
they could find nothing, no evidence, no proof, nothing that he was in the wrong. They tried. And even then, verse 56 says they couldn't get their story straight because Jesus's record that he brings to the courtroom is clean. There's nothing in his file. What about our case files? What do we bring? What does that chart look like or that file look like in a courtroom of our sin and our guilt? It would fill at least Lambeau Field, if not more. I think of the show Loki that my kids and I watched when Loki's going through this strange proceeding and he's heading into this, this place of judgment and the court reporter has this huge stack of papers and he asks him to sign, to verify, this is everything that you have ever said in your lifetime. And Loki responds with, what? And the court reporter turns and grabs a piece of paper off the printer and puts it on the stack where it says, what? And Loki says, oh, this is absurd. Court reporter turns to the printer, grabs all this is absurd and puts it on the stack. This is our accumulation of sin. Our track record of lawbreaking is so great, friends, that were it not for Jesus willingly stepping into the courtroom with his clean record, our printers would run nonstop. I have good news, friends. You can stop having to defend yourself. You can be as silent as Jesus before his shearers was silent. How much energy do you spend justifying your wrongs or justifying what you think is right behavior? Friends, when you sin, when you hear the accuser's voice come at you with that sucker punch of, you call yourself a Christian? Here's what I encourage you to do. Open Christ's file in his face. You have nothing on me. Nothing. Jesus went to trial for me. And as much as you think you have on me, you've got nothing on him. I stand in him. This reality should make our testimony of Jesus to the watching world so powerful, so much different than what we see with Peter here. That we can fess up like Peter does in writing this down. To every shameful thing we've done, knowing it has no bearing on the outcome of the trial. Our reluctance to draw near to Jesus and identify with him is eliminated when we see the forgiveness that he's granted us. We don't care what man can do to us anymore. Because look at what Jesus has done for us. Peter later on in John's gospel, will be the first one to jump off the boat in his full clothing when he sees the resurrected Jesus on the shore. That's not a man ashamed of Jesus anymore. That's a grateful convict who's been acquitted of all charges. Man's courtroom doesn't have to inform our talking about Jesus either. Because friends, even our botched up, fumbled attempts to tell others about who Jesus is. Friends, even that bad evangelism is graded with Christ's perfection. In Christ, you are a perfect evangelist. In Christ, Chad, you are a perfect preacher. In Christ, mom and dad, you are the perfect parent. In Christ, kids, you are the perfect children. 
in Christ All Saints Church. You are perfect. This week, when you encounter someone who might be painfully aware of their imperfections of their sin, whether they call it sin or not, tell them about what happened to your record. Tell them what Christ has done. Second testimony in this passage is found in verses 61 to 65. I am the one to take your trial, and I am the one to receive your death penalty. The chief priest, he's frustrated with Jesus' silence because like a lawyer who wants to take anything the witness gives him and twist it, Jesus has given him nada. He's given him nothing to twist. So he makes two statements to Jesus with a question mark at the end. The Greek is written, you are the Christ, the son of the blessed, question mark. One claim is that you are the Messiah, the Christ, who's come to start a new kingdom, an earthly kingdom for Israel. And the second is, you are the son of the blessed, meaning really the son of God. Out of respect for them not wanting to use God's name, they use the blessed in, instead. So the Messiah, the Christ, was human. Son of God was divine. The Messiah, kingdom on earth. The son of God, what you heard from Kimberly kingdom of heaven. And Jesus gives them a true testimony by affirming both in declaring this. I am. Ego I me. Jesus promises that he is both Christ and God. And he also promises right after that in this courtroom, the roles are going to reverse. Someday, you're going to be standing trial before me. When he quotes Psalm 110 and Daniel 7, the Son of God is going to make a footstool of his enemies, just so you know. The Son of Man is going to come in glory and approach the Father and be given keys to a forever kingdom, just so you know. And it's this assertion that puts the nails into Jesus' hands and feet. The claim to be both Messiah man and son of God. And the testimony is labeled on him blasphemy. It's a term used to, what is blasphemy? You might wonder. It's a term to use basically to describe any insult or harm that you would make against God. Any insult or harm or damage you would make to God and his reputation. That's what's given to Jesus. He's still done nothing deserving of death. But in this courtroom of God's high priest and counsel, verse 64 makes a verdict. He was declared deserving of death. And right after that, immediately following that declaration, we see man's true condition. We see true blasphemy on display. If blasphemy is an insulting of God, look at that insulting of God. They spit upon him. They pummel him with punches. They slap him with their hands. The one who made their hands, they slap him with them. They mock him as a false prophet. It is so ironic that Jesus prophesied three times that this was going to happen. Jesus, the innocent, goes on trial for us and the gavel is thrown down as he receives as a substitute what every 
sin-stained record of blasphemy, adultery, false worship, cheating, stealing against God deserves the death penalty. Jesus steps in to receive it. Martin Luther put it this way. All the prophets foresaw in Christ that he should become the worst transgressor, murderer, adulterer, thief, rebel, blasphemer that ever was. For he, being made a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, is not now an innocent person. Our most merciful Father sent his Son into the world and laid upon him the sins of all men, saying, Be Peter, the denier. Be Paul, the persecutor. Be David, the adulterer. Be Adam, the first sinner. Be the thief who hanged upon the cross. Be all of us. And be now the person who has committed the sins of all men. I find him a sinner, the Lord declares. Therefore, let him die upon the cross. Part of what we're embarrassed to proclaim about Jesus' name, or why we're embarrassed to proclaim Jesus' name, is because we really don't believe we're that deserving of the death penalty. I just have to say this. Cheer up, church. You're worse off than you think. Mark 14 erases every doubt. As you look at the council, as you look at Peter, it leaves the only innocent one standing there to be Jesus. If someone stepped into oncoming traffic and, and threw you out of the way, if you were standing as a semi was coming to hit you, as the death penalty was coming to hit you, and someone threw you out of the way and stood in your place, would you tell anyone about it? No doubt. You'd probably tell everyone. Even strangers you met about it. This week, all saints, people transformed by the gospel of grace, I'm praying that the Lord would grant each one of you at least one opportunity to share with someone else how Christ has spared you. Not out of a guilty conscience that says, I got to talk about Jesus more. But out of a cleansed conscience that said, could Jesus have done any more for me? Final testimony of Jesus. Probably the most familiar to us is in verses 66 to 72. Jesus says this in what we read. I'm faithful when you are not. Peter enters into his own courtroom. But Peter's not among any officials or high priests. Peter's sitting in the courtroom of man's opinion. A lowly servant girl becomes his accuser. This woman has no power, no authority over him. She just asks him a question. You a Jesus follower? Tries to plead ignorance. I, I, don't, I don't know or get what you mean by Jesus follower. I'm not sure what you're talking about. And he moves further away. She finds him again. Rallies her fellow servants. That he's a Jesus follower. Peter calls out, no, I'm not. Servants, collective voices start to speak. You're a Jesus follower. You're a Galilean. You talk just like him. And Peter 
The one who proclaimed, I will go to you with you to the death. Jesus brings death upon himself by refusing even to speak Jesus's name out loud, but instead says, I swear to God, I have no idea who the hell this guy is. And Jesus, the perfect prophet's words come true as the rooster crows a second time. And faithlessness overwhelms Peter as he remembers his friend and his rabbi's promise words. And he weeps for fear he's committed an unforgivable sin. His friend, he said, was dead to him. His vow of allegiance to Jesus broken. The rock, Peter, lies shattered to pieces on the ground. What a testimony of faithlessness, a testimony of fearing much more what man could do to him than what God could do to him. What a testimony of failed following. Friends, Peter doesn't display this story just to heap guilt on all of our unfaithfulness. May this story cause us to weep, but not out of despair. May this cause us to weep out of gratitude. Peter shares this story for anyone who's ever doubted God could love a wretch like him. Jesus remained true to every single one of his words as he knew Peter would not. Peter wants any promise breaker, any Jesus denier to hear and begin to proclaim to the world the testimony. Jesus was faithful when I was not. I was afraid what people would think of me. Jesus was thinking of people like me. I was scared to death of getting killed. Jesus plunged into death so I could live. Peter steps down from any attempt to be the hero of the story and gives Jesus alone the rightful place as faithful to the death. Let's close with this. Three denials were not the end of Peter's testimony. John's gospel displays a loving restoration of a faithless follower, Peter. As Peter jumps off the boat, swims to his friend, Jesus asks him, as they're having breakfast, eating these fish they just caught, do you love me more than these? Some people believe he's talking about the fish or the trade. I believe he's talking about people. Do you love me more than people? You know that I love you, Peter says. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Second time, Jesus says, do you love me? Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend to my sheep. And a third and more painful time, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And it grieves Peter because it reminded him of these denials. It tear again at Peter's attempt to be hero Peter says, you know everything, Lord. You know everything. Even me laying there a mess on the ground, weeping. Lord, you know that I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Peter's words in the gospel of Mark here are his feeding of us. His testimony for us, the sheep. That Christ, the Son of God, has gone to trial for us. That Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man, has taken our death penalty. That Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man, has remained faithful when we were not. Let us, like Peter did, by writing this down forever, glorify God on every courtroom witness stand when people ask the question of you, are you one of His? Are you one of His? Indeed. I am. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, remind us of this testimony you make over us. You went to trial, you went to bat for us while we were far off. While we were yet still sinners, you died for us. Remind us of the death penalty we all deserve, that stack of sin that we cannot do anything to undo before you. Christ has brought his record. Thank you, Father, for the testimony of taking our punishment, our sin upon himself, Father. And thank you for Peter's willingness to display his faithlessness so that we could see Christ's faithfulness in fulfilling the word. Father, we pray that we would be a people this week, this week, who would have opportunity to be asked, are you one of his? And to be able to communicate and profess with confidence, not fearing anyone's opinion of us except yours. I am because of what Christ has done for me. May this be our testimony and may it grow more and more confident off of our lips, we pray in Jesus' name, who we belong to forever. And all God's people said, amen.